Romans chapter 7. We are almost to the summit of the mountain. The air is getting a little thin. Life has many contradictions. Somebody once said that we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need so that we can impress people we don't like. And I have found that to be true. We are contradictory characters. Uh, we, we spend money to join a gym and then never go. We, um, we brag and boast about a family one minute and complain about them the next. We rest in the gospel one minute, knowing that Christ has forgiven us all, that we are secure in Him. And then the next minute, God sends a trial and we wonder why He's mad at us. We contradict one another. We contradict each other. We contradict ourselves more often than not. And Romans chapter 7 takes up an essential contradiction. We do precisely what we don't want to do, and we don't do what we know we should do. Anybody else here deal with that? You ever find that you... You, you, you can't do what you know you're supposed to do, but you have no problem doing what you know you're not supposed to do. We all do this. And, and Paul is, in, in this last uh, section of chapter 7, verses 13 through 25, we need to understand what, what Paul is doing, okay? Because it, when we have this in mind, Paul is not just saying, listen, I understand. I try to do what's right and I fail in it. I try not to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. He's not just saying that. He's saying that for a purpose. Because we need to remember that Paul here, he uses the word I, I, I. And that's a key to understanding this last section of Romans 7. Because you see, Paul is pointing us somewhere. Paul is not saying, look, I know you want to do what's right. Try harder. I know you don't want to do what's wrong. Try harder. He's not saying that. Paul's pointing us to Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And so here in, in, in chapter 7, we see the riddle. You know, back in chapter 6, it describes the status of the believer in our union with Christ. And, and while we often enjoy our status experientially, we do fail often. We fail, God, more times than we taste defeat time after time. And we begin to hate and we begin to lament over our sin. Or at least I hope you do. Because as we grow and mature in the faith, we are to, 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 to hate our sin more and more. And we confess with the Apostle Paul, uh, look in chapter 7, verse 15. He says, for I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Look at verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Twice he says the same thing. 
He says, I, I, I hate what's going on in my life right here. And, and I argue that Romans chapter 7 describes the experiences of Paul speaking from the perspective of a believer. As I was studying for this, and one of the things that I found is that many Bible scholars, that there's basically three views on who Paul is talking about here. <clears throat> Some believing that Paul is going back and talking about his time prior to becoming a believer and that he's speaking from the viewpoint of an unbeliever. But I believe that the scriptures here in chapter seven discount that. There are some who believe that Paul here is speaking of a Christian who is who has become a carnal Christian, who walks in the flesh and who doesn't care about the things of God anymore. And I believe that these scriptures discount that one, too. Paul is speaking from the viewpoint of a believer who loves the Lord and wants to do right. And, and, and he finds that the more he wants to do right, the more he does wrong. And this is the experience that all of us have. His experience is representative and universal of all of us. And the thing is, if you take chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 of Romans, in chapter 6, Paul says, you have died to sin. You're no longer bound to it. It has no dominion over you. But then in chapter 7, Paul has fallen, right? Where he says, oh, look, he said, I keep trying to do what? He says, I, I am a slave of sin, I'm sold under sin. And then in chapter 8, he says, hey, there's no condemnation. There's no just, there's no separation. Listen, Paul is not going from chapter 6 to chapter 7 to chapter 8. This is all lived out simultaneously. This is the everyday experience, chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 of every believer. You understand how important it is to understand that? That, that this, is, this is where Paul is coming from here. Uh, we as believers, uh, we all experience chapter 7 of Romans and we wage war with sin and our desires and we lose more times than we're going to win. I don't know why that is. Do you hate your sin? Have you ever, have you ever, you know, there, there, I'm going to confess to you, there have been times in my life as a believer in Christ, when I would give in to a temptation, I would give in to sin, and I would look in the mirror and say, what is wrong with you? I mean, I was serious. I was angry at me. I was frustrated at me. And this is where I see Paul here. He's frustrated. He says, look, the good I want to do, I don't find any way to do. But we're going to see that Paul here is pointing out a very important spiritual principle for us. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But here, you know, Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, he, he talks about, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am foremost, or I am chief. Listen, every one of us could say that. I could look at Paul and say, no, Paul, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I'm the chief of sinners. And every one of us could look at, at each other and say, no, I'm the chief of sinners. We all must have that attitude. The very, but the thing that we need to understand is the very struggle with sin is a sign of faith. You show me a person who, who claims to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that has no problem with their sin, that excuses their sin, that ignores their sin, that makes uh, whatever they can about their sin, and I will show you someone that does not know Christ. 
because we must struggle with it because it is something that is it's something that is foreign to us as new as, as new creatures in Christ you understand that sin before Christ was our nature it's who we were it's what we did but now we are new creatures in Christ and sin is foreign to us and so therefore we fight against it and this is one of the signs that we are truly of the faith. And these verses depict vividly the inner conflict that is characteristic of every true believer. Let me ask you this morning, does your sin bother you? Do you, or are you, do you struggle in your Christian life with sin? Do you struggle with it? Do you battle against it? But listen, uh, when I say, does your sin bother you? We, we, we need to make sure that if you have sorrow over your sin, that it's a godly sorrow because a godly sorrow leads to repentance. You know, uh, a lot of us can be like the thief that got caught, you know, and he's sorry, not sorry for what he did, but sorry that he got caught. And that's how many people are when it comes to their sin. They say, oh, I know I've done wrong and I'm really sorry. <clears throat> but there's no repentance. And godly sorrow will always lead to repentance. The flesh uh, torments us and subverts us and we battle with it. And when Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about uh, not this physical body, but he's talking about the old me, the old man, the one that I was before Christ. Look at verse 13. Let's, let's read the rest of this chapter. Paul says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I want, do, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have a desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In my members, another law, warring, uh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. <clears throat> so Paul here, he, he admonishes, he says, you know what, the law is good. And, and as we talked about last week, the problem is not with the law, the problem's with us. Okay, the law's good, the law's holy, the law's righteous. The fact that I cannot keep the law is not the law's fault. It's my fault. All right. So uh, when, when sin perverts the law by uh, rebelling against it, it brings death. 
And our rebellion, and by our rebellion, sin is shown to be sin. And our encounter with law brings grim results. The result is death itself, which God makes use of to demonstrate his, our need for grace. Now, th this is part of what Paul is pointing out here. We all agree that the law is something we cannot keep, right? We all agree that God has given us the law and that the law says, Obey me and you will live. Disobey me and you die. Paul said, look back in chapter 7, look at verse um, 7. He said, What shall we say then? The law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Hang on, I lost my place here. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, God gave us the law. Without the law, I wouldn't know my sin. I wouldn't know what it was. But we are breakers of the law. We cannot keep the law. And because as a result of that, we deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God. But Paul here is saying, look, the law is what God uses and our failures, our sinful failures, God uses to point us to Christ. This is why Paul says there, how many of us have cried out and said, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? What am I going to do? I am doomed. I am under the wrath of God. There's no hope for me. Not in, not in myself, not in the world, not in my works. There is no hope without Christ, but God uses this to demonstrate our need for grace. And although we as believers are slaves of righteousness, which Paul says there in chapter 6 and verse 18, we still experience something akin to the slavery to sin. <clears throat> we can be a mystery to ourselves. But you understand that if we do what we hate, okay, hang on, stay with me here. If we do what we hate, we must also like what we hate in some sense. Do you hate sin? Do you hate sin? Then why do you keep doing it? You see, in some sense, if, if what we hate had no appeal to us, we wouldn't give in to it. And so Paul here in verse 17, notice what he says. He says, so now it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And we need to understand, Paul here is not absolving himself of any responsibility. He's not saying, look, this is not my fault. It's the sin that dwells in me. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, uh, he says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Paul says, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new man in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. And that old nature that dwells in me uh, is what does it. The sinner is not his true self. Let me ask you a question. When God looks at you, <clears throat> Who does he see? Does God look at me and say, look at that old wretched sinner down there preaching? Or look at that old wretched sinner down there singing? No, that's not how God looks at us. God looks at you and I who are believers in Christ and he says, look at my children. Look at my people. 
Look at those that I have redeemed, that I have uh, forgiven, that I have cleansed, that I have made alive in Christ. And that's that, 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 that sin that dwells in me. That's not who we are anymore. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that people who are lost without Christ, they sin and they have no choice? You know why? Sin is their master. But sin is not my master anymore. Sin is not your master if you're a follower of Christ. We now have a new master. So, so we can't get the idea here that Paul is saying, look, this is not my fault. It's this, this. No, it's not what he's saying at all. all right? So Paul, he continues to probe the contradiction that he sees in himself in verse 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. Right now, don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's saying, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, that old nature. There's nothing good there. Listen, folks, I agree with, with, with what uh, Jonathan Edwards said. He said that when you look at me, the only good you will ever see in me is Christ. That's the only good there is in me. But Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh, in that old man, in that old person that I was. Uh, the phrase, in my flesh, it, it suggests here that, that there is another aspect to Paul, that his actions never quite match his intentions. How many of you, as a believer in Christ, ever wake up in the morning and say, You know... <clears throat> I wonder what sin I can get into today. I wonder what evil I can participate in today. None of us. As a matter of fact, I would hope and pray that all of us do just the opposite. Lord, protect me from this. Keep me from this. And so Paul is saying, look, when I do this, he says, this is not my intention. We, we need to understand that even at our best, Sin taints the best of us. The most eloquent prayer I can ever pray is tainted with sin. The most beautiful and heart-wrenching sermon I can preach is tainted with sin. Everything we do is tainted with sin. And this is what Paul's saying because that old nature is still in there. And so Paul says that even at our best, we are Sin taints our motives. And overall, verses 14 through 20, it accents the conflict within believers that the indwelling sin causes our failures. Let me ask you something. Do you battle against your flesh every day? Do, is there a struggle against sin? Do you say with Paul, I know what's right, but I can't do it. I know what's wrong, and I keep doing it. What's wrong with me? I love R.C. Sproul. I love that quote of his when somebody was at, you know, one of those Ligonier things and somebody asked a very stupid question. Well, it was stupid in the sense that it was, uh, he, he meant, you know, they should have known better. And he said, what's wrong with you people? You know, and I think sometimes we look at each other, you know, and I look at myself and I say, what's wrong with you? And Paul, he, he's saying here, look, there, there's a conflict within every one of us. And, and in this chapter, Paul says, number one, that the law is good. He says he wants to obey it, but he can't. All right. Now, listen, here's to me the point that Paul is making. 
I know that in me, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. I want to obey the law, but I can't. I don't want to do what's sinful, but I do. And what does he say? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body? And he says, thank God for Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is pointing towards Christ. The power of sin in the Christian experience. Romans 6 states that believers are freed from sin. But Romans 7 here tells us that not entirely. We are progressively doing this. Sin can be habitual and sin can be compulsive. But Romans 7 applies to more than just addictions and compulsions. Uh, it's a character that flows and evil patterns that lead us to lament over our sin, to say like Paul, for I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. All right, let me just stop right here. Let me ask you, does this describe any of you out there? Do you have this same, do you look at this and say, oh, Paul, thank you for writing that. Thank you, Paul, that I know that now you experience what I have experienced. Do you feel that way? Have you ever experienced all of this that Paul is talking about here? Uh, that, that, that the indwelling Spirit of God being at work in us and sanctifying us and helping us more and more to hate the sin and more and more to obey word, the Word of God. And, and we hear this promise uh, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 that he who began a good work in... Let me back, back up. That's not what Paul says. <clears throat> Paul says, I am confident of this very thing. Paul says, I have no doubt that he who began a good work in me will complete it. And that's what Paul, he's saying, look, God is working on us. He, the, the Spirit of God lives within us and He's sanctifying us and making us holy. And, and we see that, that, that this good and this evil battle within Paul that exists within every true believer of God and the impulse to do good and the force of evil are both present. In Galatians 5.17, let me read what Paul says over there because this is prayer. He says, For the desires of the flesh, that old nature, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Say the same thing he said there in Romans chapter 7. Only there he's saying, Look, I don't know why. Nowhere in Galatians he says, Here's why. Here's why. The flesh and the spirit war against one another. But the impulse to do good and the force of evil are both present within each and every single one of us. And, and chapters 21, uh, 20, verses 22 and 23, they mention two laws here. Paul says, For I find it to be a law that when I want to do good, to do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inward being. Like the psalmist, uh, Paul delights in experiencing joy in God's law. At, uh, Psalm 1, verse 2, says we delight in the law of God. Paul says, look, I love God's law. I want to do what's right. I want to obey it with all my heart. But I find no way. I find no way to do this. 
and the tension. You know, Paul says that war rages in his mind and in the members of his body, and the tension leads for him to say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's a heart-rending call for deliverance. It is a call of, uh, of longing for Christ. Can anyone deliver us from the prison of sin? Yes. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He delivers us. And listen what Paul is saying. He, he's saying, look, I find no way to do this. I find no way to stop this. I find no way. I, I, I. And then Paul comes to his senses and he says, but wait a minute, I know one who does. And it's not I. Too often we try to walk in the flesh. That's what Paul said there in, in, in Galatians chapter 5. Look, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Back up to verse 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the answer. To walk in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? You know, I thought about that as I was preparing this message. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Because, you know, it depends on who you ask. I know some people will tell you, well, walking in the Spirit means that you will you'll always have joy in your life. You'll always be on top of the world. It means that you'll, you, you'll walk around doing miraculous things for God. I want to tell you, that is not walking in the Spirit. You may tell you how to walk in the Spirit. Get in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. That's how you walk in the Spirit. And Paul says, if we will walk in the Spirit, we will, not, uh, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You know, I remember years ago, I, I can't remember who it was, but as a young Christian, I remember listening to this guy on the radio, and he was talking about how, you know, when we all have our pet sins, when we have those, those, those habitual sins that we just can't seem to get over, he said, here's what you do. He said, go through the Bible. Find every verse of Scripture in the Bible that deals with that sin. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And he said, then you will not, desire, you will not fulfill that desire of the flesh because the Word of God will dwell. You will have done what the psalmist said when he said, I, your Word I've hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, I think that what Paul's giving us here is a picture of someone who is trying to obey God... On their own, in the flesh. And he says it can't be done. It can't be done. We cannot overcome our sinful nature on our own. You know, here again we have another one of those very unfortunate chapter breaks. Alright? I want you to look with me. <clears throat> read with me from verse... Um, <clears throat> well, verse 24. Wretched man, this is how we need to read this all together, okay? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in, the, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see how, how that kind of brings all that together when you read all of that together? You know, uh, it, it is Christ alone. Paul says in, in walking in the Spirit, he says, listen, wretched man that I am, what am I going to do? But thanks God for Jesus Christ. You know why? Because now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Last week, we saw how Paul, he, he used the, the, the death of a spouse to show our death to sin and how we can be obedient now and, and, and serve a new master. And it was all to show us. And the same thing Paul is still doing right here. He's saying, I, I fail God every day. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. The things I know I should do, that's what I don't know how to do. Paul says, I can't do it. I cannot do it. But I need somebody who can. And Paul says, let me tell you what it is. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone, for what purpose? To the glory of God alone. You see, if I could begin to walk in the Christian life, and if Paul could begin his work in the Christian life, and, and, and I come around, you know, and I, I have this, this sin that so easily besets me, and I say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to conquer that sin. I'm no longer a slave to it, and, and I'm going to overcome that sin, and I'm going to move on. And then maybe I come to the next sin that becomes a, a habit to me, or the next it becomes such such a, a problem for me. And, and I say, okay, I overcame that last one. Now I'm going to overcome this one. And I do that, and I do that, and I do that, and I get into, I, I finally stand in heaven. And I say, God, aren't you glad that I am sharing your glory? Look what I did. That's why Paul says, first by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God so that no one will boast. See, Paul doesn't say, look, the good that I want to do, I don't know how to do, and the good I don't want to do, that's what I do. And Paul does not say, look, I am going to work harder, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to pray more. He says, I'm going to look to Christ. Listen, folks, that's the only place you can look, is to Christ. It's Christ alone, so that God alone receives the glory. 
Yeah. And you know, this is something I think that we, I don't, I don't know sometimes I think we don't really have a full grasp on this that we need to understand. God will never, ever, ever let anything happen in any kind of way that he doesn't receive the glory. He will never let me receive it. And when I work to where I try to receive it, it's not going to work. See, I mean, Paul here, verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So then, he says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. In other words, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I know what's right. I want to do what's right. I want to obey God. I want to walk with God. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Now, you know why? Because the flesh cannot serve anything else. But for those, as we're going to see when we get to chapter 12, Paul says <clears throat> that we are to be transformed by how? The renewing of our minds. And Paul says, with my mind, I serve the law of God. You know why? Because for the believer, that's all he can serve. Just as the flesh can serve nothing but sin. So Paul says, he, he points us and he says, look to Christ, look to Christ. That's the only answer. Do we understand this morning that that's the only... You know, a lot of people believe that the gospel is for people who are lost. But it's not. It's for all of us. We need it every day. How often do you remind yourself of what Jesus Christ has done? How often in the day do you think about the perfect sinless life that He lived? The perfect sacrifice that He, he presented Himself as and the, 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 the perfect life that He lives today? And say, He did that for me. He did that for me. Because I was lost. And I was under the wrath of God. And I cried out and said, Oh, wretched man. Listen, Christian, we're going to fail. We're going to falter. But Paul says, don't give up because it's not about you. It's about him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we, we recognize that we... <clears throat> battle against our sinful nature every day but father thank you for your indwelling holy spirit and father that as we read meditate and obey your word walk in the spirit father that we can overcome the flesh but father that it's done only by your spirit only by you that you might receive the glory alone Father, forgive us for any time that we begin to make us think it's about us. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we think that we can do what only you can. Help us to remember, Father, that you are not like us. That you are God and we are not. So, Father, I pray that each of us might be encouraged this morning. That we might be encouraged to see that this great apostle suffered just like we do in our struggle with sin. But Father, may we also, like Him, see the answer 
and know that the answer is found nowhere but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that for all those who may be listening that don't know Christ, that, Father, they would turn their hearts towards you. That, Lord, your, your Spirit would begin to convict their hearts. They would repent of their sin, turn from their sin, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, draw all those who you have called. That, Lord, that they might become one with Christ. We thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen.